Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. We are starting this brand new series called Joseph. Um, Joseph is a great character of the Bible. Um, The truth is, Joseph went through a lot of things in his life and Most of us can relate to one or more of the situations that Joseph found himself in in his life. And um, we've either, uh, we're going through something right now, or we've been through something, or we're about to go through something that Joseph went through. So there's something in his life that we can all relate to, that we've all uh, been through or are going through. And so I I believe God is going to speak to us through this series. It's going to be awesome. Joseph, in fact, um, his story comes from the book of Genesis. Um, It's the first book of the Bible. And it's the longest story in that book of the Bible. So in the book of Genesis, there's not a story that's longer than Joseph's story. So not the account of creation, not Abraham, the father of our faith. Like Joseph's story is longer than any of the other ones in that book. And so always note in those moments that God is trying to get our attention. He wants us to learn something from those characters. And so we're going to study Joseph's life over the next uh, couple weeks and and really dig in. We do this. Um, a couple times every year where we study a character or a book of the Bible and just go chapter by chapter through it because we just uh, we want to get to know our Bibles better. Amen. We want to have more understanding of the Word of God because that's what it is. Is The Bible is not just a book. It's not just some pages with some stories on it. It's the actual Word of God. Right? Uh, Hebrews tells us that the word of God is alive and powerful, that it comes in and it separates between soul and spirit. What, what, what does that mean? It's alive and powerful. That means when we begin reading it, when we begin getting it on the inside of us, that it begins to separate from the fleshly things and the spiritual things. That's the soul and the spirit, right? It's separating those things so that we can have a better understanding of who God is. Like when we begin to read the scripture, we begin to know more about who God is. It's his character, his nature, how he operates, how his kingdom operates, and how we can operate in his kingdom. We get a deeper understanding of it. So we, we do this because we want to understand better, right? Psalms 119 actually tells us that the word of God is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path, right? So that means that the Word of God like, actually illuminates the, where we're supposed to go. It's supposed to be part of our decision-making process, what's in the pages, right? It's supposed to be part of our everyday life. This is what it is. It's giving us direction. That's why I always tell people that like, God is not trying to hide His will from us. <laughs> God wants us to know His will. He wants us to know it so much that He wrote it down in a book. And he gave it to us so that we could have it everywhere we go. We have it on paper, but these days we have it on uh, digital platforms. You carry it around in your pocket. Maybe the version Bible app. It's a free download. You can get it, you know, here in service while we're talking or at home or whatever. And you carry around I don't, tons of versions of the Bible. And I don't know how many different languages. Like, however you need the Bible, it's available for us today. Like, and it's God's will for us. So when we say God's uh, revealed will... Like the, the, his will that he's revealed to us, that's his word. His word is his revealed will. So when we want to understand God's will, we just need to have a deeper understanding of his word. So what is his will for us? It's all right there in the book. It's in the pages, what God's will for us. His will is that we'd go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's his will. His will is that we would lay hands on the sick. And guess what? They're going to recover, right? Because it's God's will that we would be healed. 
Healing wasn't just miracles that happened when Jesus was alive. Healing is God's will for us today. He said, my will is that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So he wants us to be prosperous. He doesn't want us to be broken, busted, and disgusted. No, he wants us to be prospering. He wants our soul to be prospering. He wants us to be in health. That's his will, right? His will is that we would preach the gospel. His will is that we would seek first his kingdom, right? Because he's going to take care of everything else, right? Check this one out. His will is that we would lift our hands in the sanctuary. Come on, son. Oh, I told you I was coming to preach today. God's will is all, it's all, it's in there. It's in the pages, right? It's all there. He wrote it down for us. Check it out. For 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. All scripture. That's good. You all sound good today. Come on. It says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So in other words, the scripture covers every area of life. So there's not a thing in life that we will encounter that's not covered in scripture somewhere. All facets of life, every experience we would have, there's, it, it's covered in scripture. There's something there to speak to every one of those moments. The good news for us in this is that, you know, it's for our teaching and correcting, for training us in righteousness, right? So what that means is that when I receive Jesus, I'm not expected to be instantly super spiritual and perfect. Isn't that good? Just like let that weight come off of you this morning. You don't have to be perfect, right? Just because you receive Jesus in one moment doesn't mean like now you've got everything going on. No, there's a training that's happening. That's what he's telling us. We're being trained by the scripture. We're being corrected by the scripture. We're being taught by the scripture so that we can become more mature in Christ. It's the same principle as when you when a person would enlist in the military, right? Um, when you The day you enlist in the military, do you instantly become a five-star general? No. Uh, when you enlist in the military, are you a, a expert in military combat and strategy? No. There's a process you go through. It's called training, basic training. Even when you come out of that training, you're still not ready to be an expert or a general. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of knowledge. It takes some combat. It takes a whole lot of things to be able to get to the place where one day you can lead some people. It's a process of training, and it's the same thing for us spiritually. There's a training process that has to happen once we receive Christ. Now all things are made new. We need to begin to renew our minds. We need to begin to renew our soul and our emotions and, and begin to be let the Word of God then speak to us. We need to allow Him to come in and, and all those areas we like to keep hidden and covered up and allow the Holy Spirit to bring correction to those places and, and, and expose those things to the light. It's good. We're being trained, right? So why are we being trained? He says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ah, that's good to know that we're being not just trained so that we can, you know, do what he says, but he has an assignment for us. God has a good work for us to do. It's good to know. God has an assignment for us, right? He has an assignment for us to do, right? And so, but in order for us to be successful in that assignment, we've got to be trained and be equipped. We've got to be trained and be equipped. If a soldier is just sent out without being trained, without the proper uh, uniforms, without all the right equipment, they're not probably going to accomplish the mission that they've been sent out for. God wants us to be trained and equipped so that we can be successful in the thing that he created us to do. That's what learning the scripture does. That's what it means when he says, write, write the scripture on your heart. Hide it in there, right, so that you won't sin against me, so that, so that you'll be equipped, so that you'll be trained, so that you'll be ready to do everything that I've created for you to do. That's what we're so passionate about, being in the scripture and learning what God's word has for us, right? So we don't have to wonder, like so often I hear people say like, 
I'm just trying to figure out God's will. If God would just show me what he wants me to do. Like, listen, it's in the book. His will is there for us. It's his revealed will. It's his word. So we've just got to get to know the word better. That's why he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He, like, he wants us to experience it for ourselves. So you can't take my word for it. You've got to experience him for yourself. You've got to taste him for yourself and see how good that he is to us, right? It's all in there. So we're going to study. The, we're going to do that. We're going to look at the life of Joseph and, and, and see it. I think it's important that we um, remind ourselves that Joseph was a real person. <laughs> I know it seems basic, but sometimes we hear the stories and they can just become like Sunday school stories or, or nice Bible stories. Or, but I think it's important that we remember that all the characters that we read, Joseph and Jacob, Abraham, David, all these guys, they were real people. They were born as babies like we were. They grew up, right? They had celebrations and parties, and they had moments where they cried together, where they experienced loss and tragedy. They grew like we did. They were adults and all those things, got married, had kids, all that, experienced the same kind of temptations that we, like they were real people. They walked on this earth. They were just thousands of years before us. Right? So that's why we've got to remember that, in fact, uh, the historical section of the Bible is actually the history of the world that happened bef- like before we came, right? I know people try to say that it's not, but like what's in there is what really happened. It's, it, it was really there. So Joseph, he went through a lot of things, a lot of craziness happened in his story. But what I love about Joseph that, is that um, it's encouraging to know that we're not the first people to go through some stuff. In fact, I would tell you that you're not the only one uh, going through what you're going through right now. I know that's the lie the enemy tries to get us to believe. No one else understands. Uh, no one else is going through what you're going through. No one else can understand, but it's just a lie. That's a trick the enemy wants to get us isolated so that we're all closed off, so that we can't allow anybody, we can't allow correction to come in, we can't allow healing and the help to come in. Like, like It's a trick and a trap of the enemy when, in fact, I can tell you that there's people in this room that are going through what you're going through. And have been through what you've been through. They just said you just you just haven't found out their story yet, right? We're not alone in this. Other people have gone through this and made it out and been successful and accomplished their purpose. So, um, as we look at Joseph, you know, what does this guy that lived thousands of years ago have to do with us today? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, what's interesting about the Old Testament people and all those stories in the Old Testament is that they were all pointing towards one thing. Right? They were all pointing towards one day when Jesus would come at the beginning of the New Testament. They're giving us a glimpse and a picture of what Jesus was going to do when he came to the earth. And, and so I love that. And so as we look at him today, we kind of have that understanding. The first time we see Joseph is in Genesis chapter 37. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there or flip there on the Version Bible app. Um, we see uh, Joseph for the first time at, at age 17. Right, uh, we don't see a whole lot of his backstory or or know much of what it was like growing up for him. But we see him at seventeen, and and there he is. All we really see is a picture of his family. Um, we see his father was Jacob, right? Uh, his grandfather was Isaac. His great grandfather was Abraham, right? We see a picture of his family, and and we know his mom was Rachel. Um, and in fact, Rachel was Jacob, his dad's favorite wife. And I think it's important. We look at, I say favorite wife, some of you are like, because it was customary at that time to have multiple wives. Aren't you glad that's not the custom today? Come on. That's good. I'm so glad it's not the custom today. Amen. I'm going to amen myself on that one. We'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father Isaac had stayed, the land of Canaan. 
This is the account of Jacob's family line. So now we're going to get a picture of what the family environment was like. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Aren't you glad your mama didn't name you that? Thanks, mom. Uh, his father's wives. So here we see... Um, Jacob's, uh, Joseph's family, it's not even, like, these are all of his half-brothers. Like, so he's hanging out in a blended family situation that's full of chaos, full of dysfunction. He's got all 11 half-brothers, right? He's got, there's, there's four moms in the picture, some baby mamas in the picture, right? And they're there. It was so bad, Scripture teaches us, that they were competing with each other to see who could have the most kids, that's crazy. So like, I can have more kids than you can. <laughs> right? But that's what comparison drives us to this place, right? So there's 11 boys in this house. It's a lot of boys. It's a lot of boys, right? Four moms. There's so much dysfunction happening. Look what Joseph adds to the mix. It says, Joseph's hanging in the field with his bros, right? His half bros. And it says, he brought their father a bad report about them. <laughs> So Joseph is kind of a tattletale, right? So he's, he's bringing this bad report about his brothers back to his father, adding on top of all the lies, on top of all the deceit, on top of all the hatred, on top of all the dysfunction, on top of all the chaos. And you thought your family was messed up. Listen, this family holds the title belt, okay? So it doesn't matter, you know. Sometimes we get in this mode where we think, I'm, I'm, my family's too messed up. My family's too dysfunctional. I, I've got too much stuff in my past. God can never use us. Listen, God loves to use a dysfunctional family to change the world. You know how I know? It's because it was this family right here, Jacob and Joseph's family, all their messed up, all the stuff going on. Was That was the family. We can trace the genealogy. That's thousand years later, Jesus came into the world through this family. Family. So you can't tell me that just because we've got a dysfunctional family and I've got problems, I've got chaos, I've got messed up, I've got people who hate me and they're supposed to love me, like God can do something great in the midst of it. Right? That's what's so great about Joseph is that in the midst of all this mess, Joseph rises to the top. His brothers are part of the story. We know their names, but we don't know their story. In fact, we, don't, uh, we see more of his story than anybody else. So that tells me that in the middle of chaos, in the middle of dysfunction, in the middle of craziness, in the middle of people hating on you because haters going to hate, like you can rise to the top. You don't have to uh, be involved in all the chaos. You can rise above and accomplish the purpose God has for your life. Like you can rise above. Joseph did it. We can too. Come on, somebody. All right. I'm preaching about 87% better than y'all are amen in today. It's okay. So here we see Joseph in the middle of this chaos and dysfunction. So just know, just, just feel better about your family. Like, you're not that bad. <laughs> and not everybody knows all your business. We know all of their business. Right? So if you're yelling at your kids or your spouse right before you pulled in the church parking lot, you in good company, baby. So give your neighbor a high five and say you're in good company today. Verse 3, he said, Now Israel, or Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. So now we see in a deeper level of the dysfunction in the family. His dad wasn't even perfect. In fact, his dad is displaying a very high level of favoritism in this family. He's like, and everybody knew it, right? He says that next part says he, he made Joseph an ornate or a beautiful robe for him to wear. He must have been looking good in that robe. You know what I'm saying? He had it going on, kind of like what you see happening up here right now. Don't, <laughs> Y'all didn't have to laugh that much. <laughs> That's all right. You hurt my feelings. Sorry. Right. No, I'm just messing with you. 
I love you guys too. Isn't it true though sometimes that a gift that's meant to bless somebody can end up causing pain? It's just that way in life sometimes. You know, like if you've ever wanted that promotion, you've been working hard, staying late, trying to impress the boss, and then one day you finally get that promotion and you go and you want to celebrate with all your coworkers who you eat lunch with every day and now they won't they won't eat lunch with you anymore and they won't talk to you because like pfft, who you, I, I've been here longer than you, and like everybody's hating on you now. Like this is supposed to be a blessing in your life, and now you, you're like everybody hates me. Everyone's out to get me, right? Maybe you've been saving for that dream vacation. Oh Jesus, come on, moving the house today. When's working hard, saving up, right, to go on that dream vacation, and then you finally the day comes, you get to go, and you're out there posting pictures, and like I got three likes on it. Like what's happening? Y'all are supposed to be celebrating with me, and like what's happening is everyone's at home looking for that dislike button. Cause like why do they get to go on a vacation? I'm stuck here at home. I just like sometimes it's just how it happens sometimes. But regardless of what people say or do, listen, can I just tell you, you have a heavenly father who loves you, who rejoices when you do well, who wants to see you prosper, who has blessings to pour out on your life. He loves us so much, right? Verse 4 says, when his brothers saw their father and how he loved him more than any of the rest of them, what did they do? They hated Joseph all the more and they couldn't even talk nice to him. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. Can you, isn't that crazy? They couldn't even say anything nice to him. I just imagine, like, if I was Joseph, like, just longing for the approval of the brothers, like, just wanting to be accepted, like, guys, can I eat with you? Like, no, we don't like you, right? Like, guys, but I I brought extra for you guys. Like, we got our own. Like, just always mean, always cutting remarks. I love the next part. It says, then Joseph had a dream. Now, this wasn't like where Joseph was in his room and writing down his visions and his goals and all the things he wants to do in his life. You know, it wasn't like one day... I want to be in the Olympics and win the gold medal in the 800-meter race. I got what, which, by the way, that was one of my dreams, by the way. <laughs> he wasn't doing that. He was, this was in a, like he went to sleep, and God gave him a dream, and then he wakes up. Like, I just had a dream. I had a God dream. So what does he do with this God dream? We see it in the next part of the verse. And when he went and told it to his brothers, and then they hated him all the more. <laughs> So here we see, it's official, there are degrees and levels of hate, <laughs> right? Okay, there's the, the level of hate, like where I, I just, we dislike somebody, I just dislike them. And then something happens, now we move to like, now I really dislike them. <laughs> and then it continues to progress so much, and now it's like, unfriend. <laughs> That's a whole new level of hatred, right? And then beyond that, it's like it gets so bad, then we begin to hate them like I hate them. And now I really hate them. And then it's like I loathe them entirely. Like there's just levels of hatred that can, that can happen. We see it taking place here in this family. Haters going to hate, right? <laughs> Joseph, he's just pumped about his dream. He's just so excited about it. And he's not picking up, apparently, on all of the signals they're giving him. They're not, he's not reading into the hatred and the body language and the being left out because he's like, yo, check out this dream that I had. He said, we were, we were in the field binding sheaves of grain out and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Guess what yours did? Your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down. What do you think that means? <laughs> oh, can you just put yourself as a brother for one of Joe's bros for just a minute? Right? Just, just picture yourself. Like, if that was me, can I just be honest with you? I would be so mad. I'd be, like, almost laughing. You know those moments? I'd be like, 
what did you just say? Come a little closer so I can help you rearrange your teeth. You know, like, I'll, I'll show you bow down. Let's pick up your teeth off the ground together. Like, <laughs> it would be crazy, wouldn't it? He goes on and goes on. And uh, I'd like to think uh, that Joseph learned something in that moment, right? But it just gets worse from there. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you rule over us? And they says they hated him all the more. Another level of hatred because of his dream and because of what he has said. This is the point of the story where we all wish that Joseph would have caught on, right? Um, but he didn't. He says that he had another dream. And, it, and what did he do after this dream? He told it to his brothers again. This is a good point to stop and say, not everyone needs to know your dreams. There's a select few that need to know the secrets and the dreams that God whispers to you at night and the visions that he gives you. There's a select few that need to know that between you and God. Like, like Because you need to be surrounded by people who are going to protect your dream and help that thing and not everybody else who's just going to trash all over that thing and hate you for it. Uh, we need some discernment. We need to get some wisdom in the area of our dreams. We're going to talk about that. Today, So what did he do? He had the dream. He runs and tells his brothers, Joseph's going to learn the hard way. Right? He said, listen, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. What do you guys think that means? Like, 11 stars, 11 brothers. You guys do the math. It says, when he told his brothers and his father, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I actually and your brothers come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I just want to stop right there. The word of the Lord today is this, is it's time to dream again. It's time to dream again. Some of us, that's an uncomfortable statement. It's time to dream again because we've stopped dreaming. We've given up on some things. It's time to dream again. It's dream season. It's time to begin to dream again. I believe that just as God gave Joseph a dream, God has a dream for our lives He has a dream that he wants to give us. The problem for us is that right now, things don't look like we think they should. Maybe in the past we've had a dream, but the things that I'm seeing now don't look like my dream will ever come to pass. How could that ever happen? It looks impossible. And what happens then is that in that place, we give up on those dreams. We're like, this will never happen for me because maybe of something that happened to us in the past and we begin to feel like uh, I could never be the one. I'm not good enough. My past is too messed up. My family's too dysfunctional. And what do we do? We begin to bury our dreams. We put it on the back burner and we hide from it because we, we don't want to deal with the fact that what we're looking at right now doesn't look like what it should. And we stop dreaming. Some of us have stopped dreaming because we've associated our dreams to fairy tales. We live in a a storytelling world, and those are great, those are good, but we live in this world where it's just so easy to feel like, oh, dreams are just happily ever after in this fairy tale life, and I'm not good enough to be the one that could have this fairy tale life. Maybe God will do some nice things for me Maybe he'll save me, but I I could never be the one. Things will never happen for me that way. Like, I don't don't have the right family. I don't have the right money. I don't have the right education, the right background. And so we associate dreams to fairy tales. Then what do we end up with? We end up with a group of Christians who make some decisions and, and give up on some things and back away from things that God has called them. And then they're like, God, where were you? You were supposed to make my dreams happen. And we're blaming God for things that, for decisions that we've made. Instead of pursuing after the dreams that he has for us, it's time to dream again. I went to uh, 
college, a, a university called Oral Roberts University there in Tulsa. And um, if you don't know who Oral Roberts is, I encourage you to get on Google after service and find out who he is. Uh, he was a great man of faith, a great healing evangelist. Uh, as they say that he actually traveled around and laid his hands to pray for healing on over a million people. Uh, it's quite amazing some of the miracles that happened in, in the crusades and stuff that he did. But when he started this university, he had this plaque that he would put on his desk. They got a, a picture of Oral or Roberts and then his, him sitting at his desk there. It's kind of hard to read the plaque and the light. But what it says is, it says, make no little plans here. Make no little plans here. I just wish somebody today would grab a hold of that phrase, make no little plans here, because some of us have made little plans. We've made little plans because we've been discouraged, because we've been hurt by somebody, because something that happened to us, because, because we didn't grow up the way that other people around us did, or we think we should have had this, or be in this place. And so we've made little plans because it's a whole lot less deflating. If, if my little plans don't happen, then if I have this dream, and what if it doesn't happen? So instead, what do we do? We make little plans instead. Some of us just need some courage today to start dreaming again. It's time to dream again. We need some courage to dream again. Some of us need healing to start dreaming again. We need to be healed in some places so that we can begin to dream a God dream again. Some of us just need to get right with God. We're angry at God because of decisions that we've made, and if we want to start dreaming again, we need to deal with it and get right with him and start dreaming again. We need to begin to start dreaming to let God we need to let God begin to stir us up on the inside, to begin to stir our hearts again so that we can be moved with compassion for people again, so that we can be moved by his spirit, so that, so that when he speaks that we respond, that we're not just hard and callous, that we're not too busy, that when he says something that we miss the opportunity because I've got to make sure I take care of the things that I have involved in. We've got to let dreams come in. We've got to let the spirit of God begin to stir our hearts so we're moved with compassion. That's what it says Jesus. He says hey, he was moved with compassion for the people that he saw. So many times it says he was going his way to do his own thing, but he was moved with compassion for the people. we got to begin to allow the Spirit of God to stir us up, to begin to dream again. It's time to dream again. It's time to begin to dream for our families again. It's time to begin to dream again that drugs and, and, and rage and depression won't be the future for my life or the future generations of my family. Like it's time to begin to, to dream again that alcohol isn't the way I need to take the edge off. Alcohol is not the place that I find comfort. It's, uh, I find comfort in the Holy Spirit. It's time to begin to dream again that I can find comfort in His presence instead. It's time to begin to dream again that I can go to other nations and declare the gospel in, in, a, in a country where they don't speak my, my native language. It's time to begin to dream again that God can use our lives. It's time to begin to dream again, all my single people, that God has someone for you and that you're worth waiting for. It's time to begin to dream again that I can live a life of purity, that I don't have to trade my purity for a counterfeit that's not going to last but I can dream again of that day then when I come together with the one that God has for me it's time to dream again come on I'm just trying to stir you up again today it's time to dream again God has a dream for your life we got to get in tune with him and God what is the dream you have for me so how do we begin to dream again how do we begin to dream a God dream? I have a couple keys I want to give us today. How do we dream a God dream? If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, dreams begin in God's presence. Dreams begin in God's presence. 
I believe that God speaks to us through his word. That's his revealed will. But I also believe that God speaks to us through his concealed will. That's through times of prayer. That's through being in his presence. That's when he speaks to us in that still, small voice. God, was that you? When you feel that thing inside of you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, okay. Like, like he speaks to us in those moments too. But it's, we've, we've got to be in his presence to learn to know what that's like. Because if we never spend time with him, we won't be able to recognize it when he comes because it says he's a still, small voice. He's not a bully. He doesn't barge in. It's, that, it's a voice. And for the, God will use anybody who's willing to listen and obey. Right? He's not looking for diplomas on the wall. He's looking for willingness and obedience. Right? But we've got to learn his voice. Dreams begin in his presence. Psalms 46.10 says it this way. Be still and know that I am God. It's almost as if the writer is saying, we can't even begin to understand that he is God and who he is until we're still. Like, for me, this is the hardest part. <laughs> because I like, I like to be getting things done. I like to be accomplishing, right? I got, I got a lot to do. Anybody else got some things we got to take care of? Like, I got some things I got to take care of. And I'm like, that's just how God made me. Like, I want to be getting things done. And you want me to do what? You want me to sit and be still and not be thinking about things and get all that thing cleared out of my mind like, and just be still? Like, I get it. It's hard. It's hard. But listen, things worth having are, are, aren't free. They're not cheap. Things worth having are, are hard. They're difficult. Right? That's why everybody doesn't have them. Right? But things worth having take some effort to get there, right? Psalm 62.5 says it this way. Let all that I am wait quietly before God. For my hope is in him. So when was the last time we did that? Speak, God. I'm listening. I know, like, some of us are freaking out on the inside, just in the silence right now. Like, please say something. Please just say something right now. Like, it's... And we have so many great things around us, like right? It, we have so much technology and gadgets and podcasts and worship and books, and all those things are great. We should take advantage of those things. But there, we need to have moments where everything else is cleared out. We are just in his presence and just being still. God, speak to me. I'm listening. Dreams begin in his presence, right? Here's the second thing. How do we begin to dream again? Said so Number two, dreams move us from inspiration to participation. Dreams move us from inspiration to participation. So in other words, if we want to believe that God has something great for us, then God needs us to move. So many times I hear people say, well, I'm just waiting for God to do what he's going to do. Listen, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, but uh, we have a part to play. Like We've got to move just from inspiration to participation. Like scripture says, he said, I have given you, given us the ministry of reconciliation. Like he's given it to us. He can do his, he could have done it without us, but y'all, he chose to give it to us to do the job. So like that's the dream is that we would go and, and take the ministry of reconciliation to other people. It takes us doing some things, right? So dreams weren't meant to keep us asleep. Dreams weren't meant to keep us inactive. Dreams were meant to come and inspire us to get up and do some things, to get up and to get in motion, right? Think about when Jesus would heal somebody. It always, he always required a step first. 
the man with the withered hand, reach out your hand. And then he was healed. Right? The guy that was brought by his four friends and lowered down through the ceiling, what did he tell him? Hey, get up, carry your mat. And, and when he did, he, there was always a step. Hey, when he fed the 5,000, hey, first get in groups of 50 or more. Get ready for it. Right? I need you to get into motion. I need you to get moving. I mean, I think about my own life, me and Heather, like we were in that place. We were praying, God, do something with our lives. God, I want, to, I want my life to count. I want, I want something, you to do something in my life just, just so great. Just, just use my life. And, and we were there in Tulsa, and we were involved. We were serving. We were part of the church. But God was stirring things inside of us. God was doing, he had begun to give us dreams. He was stirring something inside of us, and he just needed to get us out of a place where we were just comfortable and could kick back and be on cruise control to get out of a place where we actually had to physically move to Florida. Right? But if we hadn't have done that, y'all, I would have missed out on this opportunity to be with y'all. Yeah. Dreams have to take us from inspiration, a moment of, wow, that's great, to now I've got to get involved, I've got to get moving. God needs us to get moving in order to see some things happen. It moves us from inspiration to participation. Because one thing to say, <laughs> it's one thing to say, God, use my life. But it's another thing to clear our schedule on a Saturday. Go out and meet some people on a truck and go into a neighborhood where I don't know anybody. Share Jesus with some people. Give out bags of groceries. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to say, God, I, I want to change the world. But it's another thing to get a passport, to start doing a car wash and write some support letters so that you can raise money to go on a mission trip to a foreign country where you don't know anybody. They're not going to know you. But one day you'll be in heaven and somebody's going to come up to you and be like, hey, thanks for coming to my country and tell me about Jesus. Right? It's time for us to, like, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. It's time to dream again. It's time to stir up faith inside of us. His dream sees in Joel 2.28. It says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. We're going to begin to speak life into those gifts inside of our children. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Come on, that's the spiritual gifts working. He says, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see vision. It's time to dream again. It's time to let the Spirit of God be poured out in our families. Let the gifts of the Spirit begin operating in our lives and not be scared of it or be ashamed of it, but begin to let those things come, to begin to pull it out of our children, to begin to dream, to begin to see vision. A vision is like a dream, but it happens while I'm awake. And all of a sudden, God begins to show me a picture of what he he has for me. It's the difference between a vision and a dream, right? So as we begin to dream, the next question I ask myself is, how do I know if this is a God dream? Because <laughs> sometimes there's dreams and then there's God dreams, right? So how do I know as we begin to dream again, how do we know it's a God dream? I want to give you a couple keys to, to recognize a God dream. If, the first one is this. If it's a dream from God, it will bring God glory. So if you have a dream and it only makes you look good, it's probably not a God dream. If it's a dream from God, it will always make God look good. That's just how it works. It will make him look good. It will bring him glory. Listen, Joseph's dreams, <laughs> they did not bring him glory. They did not make him look great. What is, they made him look, made him look arrogant and prideful. It made him look holier than thou. It made him look like, like I'm better than you. In fact, it made him hated by his family didn't make him look good, but they were going to glorify God. Here's the second thing, number two. If it's a God dream, it will help others and not just you. <laughs> this is good. So a God dream is not selfish, right? It's not just for us. So 
I don't know, maybe you've had that dream to have millions of dollars one day. That's a good dream to have. Come on, <laughs> that's good, isn't it? It's a good dream. Somebody, somebody's thinking right now, hold on, Pastor, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to have that dream right now. <laughs> that's a good dream to have. But can I just tell you, God's not going to give someone millions of dreams if they don't have a spirit of generosity. Millions of dollars, I'm sorry. He's not going to give somebody millions of, millions of dreams. Y'all, I'm making sure y'all are still awake on me. Somebody was, somebody was sleeping to have that million-dollar dream, right? He's not going to give someone millions of dollars if they don't have a spirit of generosity, right? Because God is, God is looking for people who are, who are ready to be generous, who know how to handle some things, so that when he puts it in your hands, you know what to do with it. So that you don't just, oh, think, oh, this is all just for me. What can I, what can I build from my life here? Like, no, God is looking for some people to give million-dollar ideas and businesses and, and resources to move into our hands who know how to build his kingdom here on this earth, who know how to bring people into the kingdom with those resources. He's looking for people with a generous spirit who know what to do with some things. A dream from God is not about us. It will help others than just us. Here's the third thing. If it's a dream from God, it will continue to resonate over time and in various ways. It will resonate over time and in various ways. That just means a dream from God won't go away. Can't shake it. I, I, I can't. Like, so you'll be walking in the grocery store, pushing your cart, and all of a sudden that thing will come up back up to your mind. It'll come out of your spirit. Be like, whoa, you'll start thinking about that thing again. And then so you'll be, you'll be coming into church. You'll be mixing up your coffee, thinking about how good that's going to taste. And somebody will walk up to you and say something to you. They don't know nothing about the dreams you've had. And all of a sudden it'll begin to confirm something, some part of that dream that is in that you've had, right? And God will begin to confirm it. And then you'll be reading the scriptures one day. And all of a sudden there'll be a scripture that jumps off the page at you. And the whole Holy Spirit will speak to you in that moment, and he'll begin to reveal something to you and tie that thing into your dream. It'll begin to resonate over time, over time, over long periods of time. It'll begin to resonate, right? God's dreams are not short-term microwave dreams. They begin to resonate. It's low and slow, baby. It's like smoking a brisket, right? You don't want a brisket that was cooked in five minutes. You want a brisket that was cooked in like 18 hours, you know, because there's more flavor. There's more depth. There's more more goodness in there the longer that thing. It's going to resonate over time is going to be confirmed in multiple ways. It resonates in that way. But so often what happens is that we have we get excited about something in the short term, right? We see something, we're like, oh, I'm going to live for that thing. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, we're like, what? I, I don't even remember what I was involved in because it was, it was just a short term thing. It was, it was a dream we had or a desire that we had. I had this happen in my own life. Um, <laughs> Years ago, Heather and I were first married. We were, I love the Olympics, and so we were watching the Winter Olympics one year, and I saw this event going on, and I just got fired up. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be a ski jumper, baby. <laughs> like, that's what I was going to do. I was like, this is my calling. I'm going to be a ski jumper for Jesus, soaring wings of eagles. It's going to be awesome. And so I just started videotaping on my VHS cassette. Y'all don't know what a VHS cassette is. That's all right. You can look it up on Google. Just every time there was an event on TV, there wasn't YouTube. So that was the only way I could figure out how to do it. And I just began practicing and learning, getting on my skateboard, you know, practicing the, the jumps that way. And Heather was praying in the spirit harder than she'd ever prayed in her life. And just like, Lord, please don't let him die. And, and I just, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden I was like, ah, it's not my thing. I'm not supposed to do <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad, you know, that wasn't a dream from God, you know. But sometimes, you know, we latch on to things that way. And it's, it's just a, 
uh, it's not the thing that God has for us. It doesn't resonate over time. It was not confirmed <laughs> in anybody's mind except my own. Here's, here's the fourth one. If it's a God dream, God will make it happen. Oh, this is good. This is the best one, but it's the most un- misunderstood one, right? Because if God will make it happen, then why does he need me? I can just kick back. God, you're going to do your thing. Let's go. I'm going to watch you. It's not a movie. I love going to the movies, right? But what God has called us to is it's not a movie. We're not meant to kick back, right? But the good news is we just don't have to be worried or stressed out about making it happen, right? It's a God dream. He'll make it happen. So that means that since he's going to bring it to pass, I don't have to manipulate people. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to step on some toes. I don't have to manipulate people with spiritual abuse or with, with words to try to convince people to join in to make my dream happen. God's going to make it happen, right? right? So that means I don't have to tell somebody like, well, you know, I, I, God, God told me you're supposed to give me your car. No. <laughs> you all laugh. It happens. If God wants me to give you my car, he's going to tell me. <laughs> you don't need to, like, we don't, we don't need to manipulate situations or, 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 or people in order to make something happen, right? God's going to make it happen. And when God does it, man, it's a miracle and it's good, right? And it, but, but he wants us to be involved, so we've got to be prepared. That's why he says, you need to be trained, you need to be equipped, so that the moment that I do it, that you're ready to take it, baby, that you're ready to run. I'm going to make it happen, but I need you to be ready. So there's a preparation. There's things that got to happen along the way. That's why I say it's the most misunderstood, right? So Joseph was learning in this process. He's learned that he had a dream and that it was from God. But now what do we do with it? We see Joseph did not handle his dream in the right way. He's telling it to his bros. They're hating him, right? And it doesn't lead to good things, right? Like we can learn the hard way or we can learn from some wisdom. It doesn't have to be the hard way. Right? Joe is going to learn the hard way. How do we handle a dream? So how about us? How do we handle a dream? Right? What I mean by that is, for Joseph, it was 13 years from the time he had the dream until he saw that thing come to be. So what did he do in the meantime? So what do we do in the meantime? We've had a dream. We've recognized, God, this is a dream you've given to me. Now what do I do with it? How do I behave? How do I operate in the meantime, in the gap? What do I do in this gap when it looks like the dream is impossible? When it looks like I'm in a pit? When it looks like I'm in a prison? When it looks like I'm a slave? When it looks like it's never going to happen? What do I do in the meantime? So I want to give us a couple keys of how we can handle our dreams, how we can be prepared in the meantime. The first one is this. How do we handle a dream? We need to practice discernment. We practice Discernment. Why is discernment important? Because discernment will save us from some pain along the process to our dreams coming to life. Discernment will save us from some pain, right? Discernment is knowing when to say it and when not to say it and when to do something, when not to do something. Y'all, we need some wisdom. (laughs) Amen. Anybody else need some wisdom or it's just me? I know I need wisdom. Anytime I need wisdom, so often I think that, uh, by and large, Christians think that if we need wisdom, we've got to run to God. God, I need wisdom. And, and that's a good place to be. We can ask him for wisdom, and we know that he'll freely give it to us, right? But he's already given it to us freely. It's in the Word. There's wisdom in there. In fact, there's a whole book called the Book of Wisdom. It's called the Book of Proverbs. So if we need some wisdom, that's a good place to start. Well, God's just not speaking to me. Yes. 
It's in there. Like, I like to read a, a chapter of Proverbs a day, so whatever day of the month it is, today's the 28th, read the 28th chapter. Like, it's a good way to get some wisdom. Right? It says this. This is the New Century Version, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14. It says, the wise don't tell everything they know, but the foolish talk too much and are ruined. So in other words, God's looking for some people who know how to handle their dreams, who have some discernment, and don't just run their mouths about everything. Uh-oh, I told you I was coming ready to preach today. Come on, I love you guys. So we've got to be careful to find the right people. Everybody doesn't need to know the dream. Everybody doesn't need to know the secret. God gave it to you. He gave it to you. We need some discernment about it. Here's the second thing. How do we handle a dream? We need to be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for what? So glad you asked. We need to be on the lookout for dream stealers. Dream stealers. These are people who don't care about us. They don't care about our dream. In fact, they're just looking to take a dream because they haven't paid the price. They haven't gone and spent time with God to get their own dream. And so they're just looking to take what anybody else has and try to make it their own, dream stealers. We need to be on the lookout for dream breakers. Dream breakers. These are people who, who want to just break us down. They're the ones that say, you're not qualified. You don't deserve it. You don't have the right education. Right? You're not, you don't come from the right family. How are you going to do that? You don't have any money to make that happen. Like dream breakers. We got to be on the lookout for dream breakers. We got to be on the lookout for haters. Haters going to hate. These are people like Joe's bros, right? They hated him. We see it. the progression of hatred that they had. It even says they hated him for his dream and for what he said. They hated him. And, and truthfully, when we hear these stories, right, don't we identify with Joseph? Like when I listen to the story, like, like yeah, I'm Joseph. Everybody's hating on me. Everybody's against me. Like, you know, like, Anytime, like, aren't we the hero in the stories? Like, I'm King David, I'm Joseph, right? Uh, we're, we're those things, but we have to be on the lookout for haters, and I just wonder sometimes if we just don't want to look in us, if we're the haters, if there's some Joe's bros in us. Yeah, there's some Joe's bros inside of us, Right? I wonder sometimes if we're in a season where we're the King Saul to somebody who's David because we haven't let the Holy Spirit come into those secret areas and work some things out. We've got to allow him to come in and work and be on the lookout for haters because could it be, could it be in the church, in the body of Christ, could it be that there's a tendency for jealousy of somebody else's blessings? Could it be that in the church, in the, in the, in the bride of Christ that Jesus died for, that there's, there's a tendency to fight among each other and to hate each other? I mean, it happened in, in God's chosen people in the house of Israel among the brothers. We see it running wild. So could it be that if it happened to them, it could happen to us? Like We've got to be on the lookout for haters. We've got to learn to celebrate other people getting blessed. We've got to learn to celebrate other people's blessings when it ain't happening for us. Right? Joe's bros didn't know how to handle it. Like Joseph had to learn how to handle it. Right? We need to learn how to handle it. Here's the third thing. We need to protect the dream. We need to protect the dream. The best way to protect your dream is in an environment of faith. Right? We know we have a shield. It's called the shield of faith. So if we want to protect something, we need to shield something. It's in an environment of faith. So if you need to put your dream in an environment of faith, man, you need to be in church. What, there's a great environment of faith. Like be in church. Like be in a group. Be in a connect group. 
That's a great environment of faith. And I'm so encouraged about so many of the testimonies that we've had from groups coming in, stories of people who are saying, I never thought I would find in a church someone who gets me, someone who knows what I've been through. I never thought I would find family in a church and just, just people's lives being transformed and changed. You need to be in an environment of faith. You need to be in a group, right? You want to be in an environment of faith? Get on a team. Serve somebody. Oh, I'm just telling you what, there's faith involved when getting out of ourselves and saying, I'm going to serve somebody else. I need something, but I'm going to give what I have to somebody else to serve somebody else. That's faith right there. You need to put our dreams in an environment of faith. Why? Because we can never exhaust our potential to reach our dreams by helping someone else reach theirs. You'll never exhaust your potential for your dreams to come to pass if you help somebody to reach theirs. How do we handle a dream? Here's the fourth thing I want to give us the last one today is we need to pass the test. We got to pass the test, y'all. Truth is, every dream goes through a journey and a process, and every dreamer will be tested. Let me show you in Scripture. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says, These trials or the things you're going through show that your faith is genuine, <laughs> meaning that if there's genuine faith, that there's a faith that's not. <laughs> we're going to show the trials and the tests you're going through are going to show which one it is, right? They're going to show like God will test a dreamer. He says it will, it, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold that your, and your faith is far more precious than pure gold. So in other words, God is going to test a dreamer to see if when it comes to pass, if the dreamer is able to handle it or if it will crush them. He'll see if the dreamer will believe his word or if he'll just believe everything that everyone else says. He's going to test the dreamer to see what's really in there, if you're willing to let go of some things, or if you have to hold on and keep everything for yourself. He's going to test a dreamer to see if you really will forgive like you say, or if you're just going to hold on to that grudge and hold on to that unforgiveness. Right? Because if God can't trust us in the pit, he can't trust us in the palace. We've got to pass the test. So often when we get hate from others, when we get mistreatment from others, when people gossip and lie about us, when people hurt us, when things happen in life, what do we do? We hold it in our hearts. We have hate in our hearts. What did Jesus say about that? He said, if you even hate somebody in your heart, same as murder. Here we have generation of Christians growing up full of anger and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness. We've got to pass the test, y'all. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. How do we pass the test? We've got to keep the faith. We've got to keep the faith. The story goes on. Joseph's story in this chapter, verse 18, tells the story that Jacob sent Joseph to his brothers um, to bring them some supplies. And he gets, he's walking up, and his brothers see him, and they're like, hey, here comes that dreamer. Let's, let's take him and kill him. Let's take his robe and throw some blood on it and take it back to our fathers. And then we'll see what happens to his dreams. Like, this is happening. In verse 23, I invite the band to come back up at this point. It says that when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, and they took him and threw him into a cistern, into a pit. And this, this pit was empty. There was no water in it. So these cisterns or these wells that they would have had, they, they were shaped sort of like, like a bottle, really narrow at the top and wide at the bottom, right? And they're really typically about 30 feet deep, right? So they took Joseph and they threw him into this empty pit. So there he would have fallen 30 feet or so down and hit the bottom, rock bottom. Maybe you've been there in that place. You've been at rock bottom before. Can I just tell you, rock bottom's not all that bad of a place to be, right? 
Like, because at rock bottom, we can begin to rebuild some things. So since there's nothing else left, right, we can begin to rebuild on the foundation, the only foundation that will allow our lives to last when things come against us. And that's the truth from God's word. That's the rock that is Jesus. We can rebuild at that place of rock bottom. So it's not, that's why I say it's not all that bad of a place to be. So you might have lost some things. Some people might have lied about you. Maybe it was someone in your family might have done some things to hurt you, had done some things against you. You might have, you might have lost out on, on some things, maybe lost a job or, or, or lost everything that you had, lost your life savings, lost a relationship that you thought was going to be the one. You might have lost out on, on the family growing up that you thought you should have had, and you feel like you're at rock bottom. But it's time to begin to rebuild. It's time to begin to dream again because it's in those places of being at rock bottom. We might have lost it all, but we can keep the faith. If we, we might have lost everything else, but we can, we've got Jesus. We can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It might not be going the way that we think it should, but we can hold on to our faith. We can keep the confession of our faith on our lips at all times. It might not look right, but I'm, I'm going to hold on to the faith. We've got to keep the faith. Here's the second one. If you want to make it, if you want to pass the test, don't get bitter. My pastor growing up told me this all the time. He would say, hey, Chris, if you want to make it in life, get better, not bitter. If you want to make it in life, get better, not bitter. The truth is we have the choice. You have the right to choose better or bitter, right? They say that life is, you know, 10% what happens to us, 90% how we respond. So what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Are we going to get better or are we going to get bitter? It's important that we understand the decision that we're making in that moment, that, we, that we're, when we're in the pit, that we learn to pass the test, that we learn to forgive, that we, we learn to be generous, that we learn to allow the Holy Spirit to bring correction to us, that we learn those things because it's in that pit, in that place of testing, that if we'll pass the test, then we'll be able to handle the palace. But if we can't forgive in the pit, we won't be able to forgive in the palace. If we can't be generous in the pit, we won't be generous in the palace. If we can't be gracious in the pit, in the face of people who hate us, then we won't be gracious in the palace. We've got to pass the test. We've got to learn to do these things. So can we take this moment here together? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and minds today. Can we just do that all across this room with head bowed, heads bowed and eyes closed? Just begin to ask him, Holy Spirit, where do I need to grow? 